Welcome to the Fired Coaches Podcast with host Marcus Weger. Each episode, we take a detailed look into the trials and tribulations that college coaches had to go through in their career, reflecting on what matters most. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at Fired Coaches Pod. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Are you struggling with shot consistency? Try ProShot Elite finger sleeves to provide optimal finger spacing resulting in a consistent release of the basketball off of your fingertips. Go to ProShotElite.com and enter SHOT15, that's S-H-O-T and the number 15, at the checkout for an extra 15% off your order. Episode number 15 of the Fired Coaches Podcast. We are happy to be joined by Coach Matt Doherty tonight. Coach Doherty, appreciate you taking the time to sit down. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Fired Coaches podcast like that. You know, I, I don't know how to take it, but like you reached out and I accepted. Uh, I think it's kind of appropriate because most coaches get fired. I'm be, I was being sarcastic, but I remember, <laughs> Marcus, uh, when I lost my job at North Carolina, I was going around the uh, country looking at NBA programs, college programs, and Del Harris in the NBA for a long time, the Lakers, the Rockets. Um, I don't know if he's with the Bucks, but um, ironically, his son and I are good friends. His son was the GM of the Bucks for a while. And uh, I went to see the Mavericks practice. I walk into their offices and there's Del Harris. And I never met him before. And he said, hello. And uh, he said, congratulations. Uh, you're officially a coach. You've been fired. And that actually, was kind of I think needed to hear I think it's you know we take it sometimes as such a blow but you know it's very common in our business and so I think that coaches need to hear that it's okay and it's not necessarily a reflection on you as a person or a coach Um, sometimes just timing sometimes it's very political and that uh, it's, it, you need to look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow. I run a, a Darty coaching practice and I, I work with executives. You know, it, it, my motto is learn and grow. And uh, Nelson Mandela says that he never loses. He either wins or learns. You know, coaching is an unforgiving business. It's, it's, our, it's my drug, it's our drug. And, you know, we want to do it desperately but it's so fragile that most people lose their jobs at some point and you just have to, you know, stay with it. Um, but you definitely have to learn from it. I, I probably gave you pretty much the whole podcast right, right there, Marcus. So, you know, are we done? That's a, that's a good trailer. I wish you'd have been around <laughs> six months ago. We could have just used that. Well, I appreciate all those words. And really that's, that's kind of why this all started. You know, like you said, sometimes it's timing, it's political. It, there's a, a, a variety of different things. And, that's where this all kind of really formulated. So again, I appreciate you joining. Obviously your background as a player, as a coach, well-documented, you were a national champion in North Carolina as a player. Go on after being drafted by the Cavaliers, you worked on Wall Street, you get into coaching with Coach Bob McKillop at Davidson, who you happen to actually play in high school for. You go work at Kansas for Roy Williams for seven seasons, obviously have a ton of success there. You get your first head coaching job in college at Notre Dame. You're there a season. You go back to your alma mater for three years at North Carolina. After that, you're at Florida Atlantic. You're at SMU. You're a scout with the Pacers. You're 
an associate commissioner in the Atlantic 10. I mean, you just have so many different things. And I think, again, what I'm most excited about is this book that you have coming out, uh, Rebound from Pain to Passion, um, which I'll put in the show notes here and, and link it to the Amazon for pre-ordering right now. And I think, again, we'll touch on some of these things that'll be in that book, but I think that's, again, just kind of a, a perfect tie-in to this whole podcast and everything and just kind of more of a reflection of, you know, a coach's career like yours. Yeah, thank you. You know, I've had a range of experiences and, and either I can't keep down, keep a job or I, I, I like change. You know, all the experiences build upon each other. And I think that if you do have a growth mindset, you will pick up things from each stop along the way and from each experience, good and bad, that'll make you better. You know, we always want our players to get better in the off season and during the season. And we as coaches need to get better in the off season and during the season. And whether that's spending time at clinics or talking to other coaches or reading, we need to get better. The book I wrote because it was a tragic breakup for me, a very emotional breakup because it was my alma mater, because it's my wife's home state. Uh, they recruited me to take the job. I was perfectly happy at Notre Dame. I was there one year. I'm an Irish Catholic kid from New York. It was a great fit. It was a place where I could put my stamp on it. And then I was recruited to go back to North Carolina after Roy Williams turned it down. And I couldn't say no to Michael Jordan. I couldn't say no to Dean Smith. And I didn't want another, actually a guy from <laughs> with Milwaukee roots, you know, the, the word was if I didn't take the job, they'd hire Rick Majerus. And I didn't think that would be a good fit for my alma mater. I took the job. And, and then my first year, I'm national coach of the year. And we win a tie for the regular season championship, ranked uh, second seed in the NCAA tournament. We beat Duke at Duke. And two years later, I'm forced to resign. You know, what goes on? Roy Williams says it's you point, a, you point a finger at somebody else, you have three pointing back at you. And so I felt that it was easy to cast blame. But, okay, what part did I have in it? And that's where I wanted to use as my foundation for growth. But it was tremendously hard, Marcus. You know, my safety net was North Carolina, was the Carolina family. And then I felt like they turned their back on me and now I'm falling off the Empire State Building with no safety net. So it was very, very depressing. I dealt with depression. I try to put up a tough front. It, it took me a good six years to sit down with Coach Williams and talk to him about it. Coach Smith was in good health at that point, so he wasn't able to sit in with us. To have that conversation with Coach Williams, just to really let him know how I felt, not really looking for anything other than an ear. He was great. He listened. Walking out of there, I felt like there were 600 pounds lifted off my shoulders. I have a ton of questions. And again, we'll, we'll kind of jump around here a little bit. But since you're talking about that, I mean, do you feel writing the book, talking about sitting down with Coach Williams, kind of venting, you know, him hearing you out, I feel like that's such an underrated piece that as coaches, when there's things that happen like that, you get fired, you're forced to resign, whatever it is. We don't talk about those things, right? You know, right. We just kind of keep it in and it's, you just kind of move on. Right. But really you don't move on unless you are able to do that. Correct. Well, it, there's definitely uh, different stages of grief, you know, and it's like a death. Right. So, you know, you have anger, you have whatever the different stages. And if you uh, don't anger turned 
inward leads to depression, okay? So you've got to let it out, whether it be a friend or to the people that let you go. It's all in how the separation is done, right? Because you do understand as you get older and in, in coaching, more experience that it's like divorce, right? 50% of marriages end in divorce. Well, 50% probably more end in divorce. So I think it's all about respect with your athletic director and the, and the president. Everything can be done in a respectful manner, even the divorce. And if it's done in a respectful manner, you get your buyout and they don't try to jerk you around. They say good things. I say good things. You move on. Well, North Carolina is my alma mater, but the press conference when they released me, nice things weren't said. My leadership was questioned. So now there was damage to my reputation and it made it harder for me to get a quality job. So I had to settle on a low major job as my next opportunity where, you know, you lose your job at North Carolina, people should be getting mid-major jobs at, at worst. And they didn't pay me what I felt I deserved. You know, it was, it was adding insult to injury. You know, be one thing and said, hey, we'll say good things, you say good things, we'll pay you the remainder of your contract. Heck, if you want to stay on the athletic department, we'll give you a fundraising job. You know, there was none of that. And I played there. I helped Coach Smith win his first championship. So when I lost my job, I remember working with an executive coach and I try to put my big boy panties on and uh, say, you know, this happens a lot in the business world. And she stopped me. She says, you don't understand. She said, you trusted these men when you were 17 years old, you know, to commit Dean Smith and Roy Williams. And then this happens to you. And it's like a father turning his back on you. So that helped me understand the pain and respect the pain. So I think it's all about how the breakup is done and then trying to learn from it, to get better from it. What do we do as coaches, Marcus, when you lose a game? What do you do? Look inward, frustrated, look for reasons why. I mean, whether it's players, coaches, adjustments, starting to report, not on, on cue, right? I mean, there's so many different things you think through. But what do you watch? Game film. Game film. You take notes and you plan the next practice to improve on the things that need improvement. Well, when we lose a job, we should watch the film and see where we made mistakes and how can we get better. Now, how do you do that? Well, you need some truth tellers in your life. I talk about truth tellers in the book. Who can they be? Maybe the AD, the associate AD, a booster, somebody you got close to. I went as far as having 360 degree surveys done with my staff, including secretarial staff at North Carolina, where I gave them surveys and had them fill them out. And they were sent to an executive coach I was working with. He processed them. So they remained confidential, the comments. Then I got to read the comments. How long ago was that after you were let go there? That was that, that summer. So that was summer 2003. Okay. I'm reading the truth in black and white. Some of the things were nice. Some of the things were hard. I'm like, wow. And when I talk in my book, Rebound from Pain to Passion, about I talk about the six no's of leadership. And ironically, I make up this kid whose name is Stevitt. And Stevitt was a high school player in Wisconsin. 
because I Googled Stevitt. The only place I found a Stevitt was in Wisconsin. We need stories. We need anecdotes to stick, right? So Stevitt is an acronym for self, team, environment, vision, industry, and truth. And the two most important no's are you got to know yourself and you got to mind for the truth. And I think we, and they go hand in hand, right? Because to know yourself, you got to ask somebody the truth. Like, hey, was I really a jerk in that meeting? Hey, was I too hard on that player? Hey, you know, did I screw up by calling a timeout with a minute to go? You know, we need to ask and, and, and welcome the truth because so many leaders don't. And so people are afraid. Someone gave me a quote today. I loved it. I collect quotes, by the way. And I'm at Darty Matt on Twitter. The higher you get, the less truth you get. The higher you get, the less truth you get. Because people are afraid to give the boss the truth. They're afraid they might get demoted. They might look unfavorably at that person who speaks up. And the higher you get, people feel like they have more of an ego. They feel like they're smarter, that they know everything. They're the smartest person in the room. The best leaders are the one who ask for input, applaud the truth. You're talking about your 360 survey. And I find that you doing it right after you get let go, I think says a lot about your character because in such a tough time, most people are past it, right? It's not my fault. I'm going to go get the next job and not really learn from what happened, right or wrong. And what would you say in terms of kind of branching off of that? You're talking about truth tellers and, and, and coaches and people on top and not want to tell them the truth. I mean, do you think, and this is a broad statement, but coaches that struggle in any profession, basketball, business, whatever it is, is it that the people underneath them that are on their staffs are, are afraid to tell them and really just want to kind of go with what they say? Or, I mean, is there other things you think that lead to kind of failure, you know, within those teams? Oh, there's a lot of things that lead to failure. I mean, incompetence, uh, lack of feel of the game. You know, there's some coaches that get head coaching positions and don't have good feel of the game. They're just not good. You know, they're just, they may have gotten a job because they were a good recruiter or they came from the right program. They get the job and they just don't have a feel of managing a game. There could be people that hire a bad staff. So they're, they, they don't have a good staff around them. There's so many reasons you get fired. Injury, scheduling, academics, a bad kid, bad in, in infrastructure, tons of reasons. But I do know this, it is very common that leaders don't mind for the truth and they need to. Because if, I, I say this, if you don't manage the truth, the truth will manage you right out the door. How did, going back to the Carolina thing and you talking about things didn't end very well in terms of they kind of threw you under the bus, leads to you having a tough time finding a job that maybe fits you the best. How did that hurt that North Carolina family? Being a player there, you're talking about all those guys you were connected with over the years. I mean, how did that affect relationships, good or bad? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's real. I mean, there's, heck, there's probably over 200, 250 former players now. And I felt like the black sheep of the family for a long time. I tried to stay out in front. My wife stole a quote from somebody that said, when you get run out of town, get out front and make it look like a parade. And, um, you know, don't hide. I think that as a coach, when you get fired, do not hide. Be present. 
Because if you're not, there's a vacuum and it's going to be filled. You want to control the narrative. Like I look back, I should have gone to the press conference because I would have been able to control the narrative a little bit. They wouldn't have said as many negative things if I was present. Be present. Show that you're okay. And it is okay. It's not life ending. You know, we feel sometimes like we have leprosy. No, we just lost a coaching job. It happens all the time. Kevin White, who was the AD at Duke, he was my AD at Notre Dame. When I lost my job, he was one of the first people to call me. He said, take the high road. There's less traffic up there. So that's what I try to do. Just learn from it and admit your mistakes. You know, say, hey, I could have done better. I wish I would have done better here, here, here. Don't blame anybody else, especially not publicly. Take accountability. Take the high road. Other people are watching. Other potential employers. And oh, by the way, how many Hall of Fame coaches have gotten fired? How many great coaches? I look at Joe Torre. He's one of my favorite managers of all time. Bill Belichick got fired. Heck, Tom Landry got fired. Go down the line. There's so many good coaches who have gotten fired that it's not really a reflection on you as a person. It could just be bad timing. Could be just bad luck. You know, learn from it. When Notre Dame came about, kind of stepping back a little bit, you kind of touched on briefly about, you know, I asked you that question on why coaching staffs fail, why teams fail. Um, you obviously gave a lot of different answers and reasons for why. But you talked about not never calling a timeout before. And you obviously went from Davidson to Kansas as an assistant. Um, and you take that Notre Dame job for a year. I mean, you guys went to the finals of the NIT, if I'm not mistaken, that year. What set you up that you feel like you were able to run that program and obviously have some good amount of success where you guys got hot towards the end of the year and, and had a lot, you know, kind of coming back and things like that. I know you had Troy Murphy and a few other guys there too, but, you know, what, what kind of think you, you set you up for good success there that, that one year? Well, I think a couple of things. You mentioned it, you know, Troy, having Troy Murphy helped. He was an All-American. Uh, he was the player of the year in the conference. I, I think having a great foundation and a system – having played at North Carolina, having worked for Roy Williams for seven years, you know, I knew that system and it fit us at Notre Dame. I, I, I said, you know, when I was interviewing, I said, I have the blueprints to the North Carolina system and I can place them right here at Notre Dame. And that's what I did. And then you start to tweak things accordingly to personnel. You know, you're, I started playing more zone. I was always confident in my ability to understand the game, you know, as an assistant, as a player, I was always that coach on the floor. So I felt confident with my understanding of the game. And um, it's, it's when you, when you take over for me, it's more about, okay, managing up, managing up to your athletic director, managing up to the school president, managing up to the Dean of admissions, you know, th those are the things that are the bigger challenge, I think, for a lot of coaches. You know, unless you come from a system where all you were was a recruiter. Coach Williams always prepared us because he gave us responsibilities throughout the program, scouting, things like that. So I felt, I felt prepared from a basketball standpoint. It's the other stuff, the politics of the job that, is always new and different in each university. 
You know, where are the landmines? I talk about that all the time. Where are the landmines? You know, as an assistant coach, or if it's just about basketball, you don't have to worry about those things. It's the other stuff that can get you. You think kind of being a like-minded school, maybe you were touching on that a little bit earlier about Notre Dame and North Carolina and having some similarities, I think, as, as an educational institution, were you able to kind of find those landmines quicker at Notre Dame, being there that you were there that year, or, or are you kind of just kind of going with the flow throughout that year and kind of figuring things out? Um, I was probably going with the flow, but I had good alignment with Bubba Cunningham, who was the associate AD, now the AD at North Carolina. He, he was great. His office was right next to mine. We were good friends. So he could, you know, be upfield and tell me where the landmines were. Kind of like your lead blocker then. Yeah. And, 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 and on top of that, there weren't as many landmines. It was almost like a blank canvas where North Carolina, that canvas was painted on and it was baked on. It was hard to make any adjustments. And there were more landmines because, you know, there was more interest, there was more tradition, but yet there were still some fundamental things that needed to be addressed that were being needed to be addressed at Notre Dame. How you address them and when you address them is the key. So you kind of touched on earlier in the episode about leaving Notre Dame after that year and you know, not being the first choice and rumors of Rick Majerus possibly taking that job, being outside the Carolina family. I mean, what was that moment like? I mean, going back to your playing days and you're playing for Coach Smith, you win a national title, you guys have a great success. I don't think you ever won uh, 28 games was the least amount of games you won in the season in those four years, which is unbelievable. But I mean, looking back to your playing career, did you ever think someday I could be the head coach at this place? No, I, I never even thought about coaching. I never thought about coaching till. 1989, when I moved from New York to Charlotte, and uh, I started coaching an eighth grade team. And I'm like, wow, like I, I never wanted to coach. I don't know why I didn't want to coach, but I never wanted to coach. And then all of a sudden, I started coaching this eighth grade team, and I got bit by the bug bad, badly. No, I was going to say, so that opportunity comes up then. And I guess what was that, not to keep laboring on, on, on the UNC situation, but what was that whole process like of your like, Notre Dame, you're, you're there, I think it was a year and four months, year and seven months, somewhere in between there. You have this opportunity where you feel like, hey, like now I have a chance, you know, in, in terms of being in the family and things like that. I mean, what was going through your mind? I mean, it had to be running 100 miles an hour about what to do. I never thought I'd be the coach at North Carolina. You know, I thought that Roy Williams was going to take the job. And then when I called Coach Smith, this was in mid-June when Go Coach Guthridge retired. I was calling him to ask him advice about Kansas, if Kansas were to call me, because I was there seven years, and, and he played at Kansas. He said, well, it's not a done deal here with Roy yet. You still, you're on the short list. And I said, oh, that's a no-brainer. Like, that's not going to happen. And then two weeks later, I'm in his office, and he says, can you take the job? And I say, I don't know. I got to talk to my wife. And he said, Two weeks ago, you said it was a no-brainer, you know? So I get on a plane, private plane, going back to South Bend with my wife. And I said, you know, I could be the head coach at North Carolina or the head coach at Notre Dame. Like having great options is a burden sometimes. 
And that was a bird. And so I weighed back and forth. I'd go back and forth. And one minute I'd think I'm staying at Notre Dame. One minute I'd think I'm going to North Carolina. And then Michael Jordan calls. And he, he, Coach Smith knew what button to have him push. And that's when he said, you know, if you don't take the job, Coach might go outside the family and hire Rick Majerus. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're going to Chapel Hill. Well, I can imagine prior to that call from Michael Jordan, you know, you're in a unique situation where obviously it's your alma mater, but I would say from being from the outside, two of your bigger mentors and Dean Smith and Roy Williams are somehow involved with the job. So getting an outside source who has an idea, it's, you're kind of like, who do I go to for, for help here? That's great insight, Marcus, because I would always confer with them on other jobs, but now they were emotionally involved in the job. And I met with Coach Williams in Indianapolis at the Nike camp, you know, and he probably felt bad that he was turning the job down and saying no to Coach Smith. And then Coach Smith wanted me to have the job. So you're right. Where was I going to get solid counsel, a truth teller that was not biased? I couldn't. I, I couldn't. Maybe Bob McKillop. You know, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to be afraid of the opportunity. I didn't want to look back. I was never wired that way. You know, I, I took on the challenge to go play at North Carolina. I could have played at a lesser program and guaranteed more playing time, but I didn't want that. I didn't want to look back and be sitting in South Bend and seeing North Carolina cut down the nets thinking that could have been me. You think of the worst thing that could happen. Well, it was worse than that, right? But you think, oh, I lose my job and maybe I, I get paid well and I could find another job somewhere else or do TV. But it ended up being worse than that. But that's where <clears throat> your faith comes in. You know, and I think one of the good things that came out of this was I like to think I'm leaned on God more. You know, got closer to God. You don't know why things happen. And we won't know probably until find our place in heaven. He tells us and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> but it's true you know? though, I mean, right? In that moment though, you don't know what's a bigger regret watching say Rick Majerus take North Carolina to a championship or taking the job and struggling, right? You don't know in that moment because you, you're not in that seat yet. No. So I, I wasn't going to pass that. I wasn't going to let that go because I was afraid of it. You know, I got fired and humiliated. And maybe that was God's way of saying, you know, it's too much, too fast. And um, needed to get humbled. And who knows? I, you don't know. You don't know. You just have to have faith that, you know, we make plans and God laughs. One of my favorite quotes. So, you know, hey, God, what do you want me to do now? Well, I, you know, people say they have signs and I'm, I'm looking out the window, <laughs> you know, you just kind of, I do think he shuts doors and opens others. You know, like I, another one of my favorite saying is trust the closed door. So I've tried to get head coaching jobs and, and have not gotten them. And I remember trying to get a, a, a mid-major job a couple of years ago and the AD texts me one morning and said, you know, they're going in a different direction. I wheeled around on my knees and thank God for closing that door. You know, that's faith. 
I'm like, okay, what, what, I don't know what you have in store, but I'm going to move down this road now and there'll be some options. You know, I do this coaching. I do, I do executive coaching. I work with this company called Vistage, the oldest and largest started in Wisconsin, oldest and largest executive coaching firm. I wrote a book. I do some radio, do a little TV, and hopefully I can impact lives through executive coaching. So you talked about that growth mindset and going back to that 360 survey you do at North Carolina. I mean, how did you basically bounce back, basically a rebound, according to your book, you know, taking that job at FAU and then moving on to SMU and continuing to, I mean, obviously growth mindset, you know, as many people should have lifelong learner and continuing to just grow. And I listened to the podcast, I think it was a dose of leadership the other day. And you talked about how in leadership, there's no finish line, which I've never heard that before, but the way you put that was like, I think the best way to put it. I know over the years now, you know, last 15 to 20, you've really become that kind of growth mindset person. Just talk about kind of that and how that grew. And even at those stops at FAU and SMU and just how you kind of continue to grow each day. Yeah, thank you. Listen, um, the seven, last 17, 18 years have been very difficult emotionally. I mean, I've, I've suffered with depression and I've just now admit that. I never wanted to admit that before. I am now finally feel whole and fulfilled and at peace. I mean, it was 17 years, Marcus. You know, I tried to, in the book, I, I wrote about the bitter river. I say, you know, you try to get bitter or better. And there's this river and there's this bridge that that's, has an expensive toll. It's a windy bridge, a lot of wind, no guardrails. And you're driving across this bridge and someone says to you, hey man, you got screwed. Or there's a picture of Roy Williams cutting down the nets or there's a former player playing in the NBA or Mike Bray signs an extension. There's all these triggers and you just want to go right off the road and turn bitter. And you got to fight that. You got to put blinders on and fight those triggers to stay steady and get across that bitter river and take that high road. It's hard. It's very hard. But I feel now after 17, 18 years, I finally feel at peace for the first time, truly. And it's a great feeling. And I never thought I'd, not sure if I ever felt this before, would ever feel this way again. And um, the book has been therapeutic for me. I think, you know, my goal was to, to help people learn about leadership because leadership is the most important topic not formally taught. It's probably more important than math, English, science, history, because without good leadership, any institution is not gonna be successful, but it's not formally taught. So when I went on my leadership journey and I'm sitting in this classroom, at Wharton and UVA, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I would have taken these classes before I was a head coach, I might still be the head coach. Now, leadership is a skill. You can't just take a class and be checked, say, oh yeah, I'm a good leader now. No, no, no. It's a skill that needs to be practiced. That's why I call it the Darty coaching practice. You've got to put yourself in situations that test your, your leadership. 
it's kind of like I tell people it'd be like going to the driving range, taking a golf lesson. And then all of a sudden, all right, next month, I'll see you at Augusta. You're playing in the Masters. Really? Well, you better practice and put yourself in pressure situations. And you'll crack. But you learn from that. You'll make mistakes. That's what I'm talking about. Leadership, there's no finish line because you've got to constantly put yourself in those situations that'll force you to grow. And I go back to Nelson Mandela's quote, I never lose. I either win or I learn. Yeah, it's very powerful as well. How did you even go about, and again, this is just because I'm, I would say in the last eight years, I've become a real growth mindset reading all the time, you know, trying to figure things out. And again, like you just mentioned with leadership, you can't just take a class and say, okay, well, for the rest of my life, I'm a good leader, right? And everything's different situations and who you're managing and time and all that. I mean, how'd you go about putting this book together? Does it focus more on the coaching career? Or does it talk about playing career and kind of your early days growing up? I think once I lost my job at North Carolina, I started, you know, people say you should write a book and I don't want to write a negative book. Started to put some things down on my iPad more to keep track of things that I wanted to have just in case I did write a book, you know, to put down dates and comments and events, the timeline. I would do a little bit more, you know, it wasn't anything consistent. And then when I started doing some executive coaching a year ago and talking corporate talks, people asked, would, hey, do you have a book to leave behind? And I didn't. So that prompted me to explore it a little bit more. And I asked a couple of friends who were truth tellers and they said, yeah, you should write a book. And I didn't want people to think like, who does he think he is writing a book? But a good friend of mine said the other way, the other day, he says, you don't have to worry about that. You deserve to write a book with what you went through. And, you know, you see a lot of leaders, leadership books, and, you know, some people just write about topics. They've not experienced it. So I wanted to write it from someone who's experienced it. And if one person benefits from this book, then it's been a success. I wanted to put a backstory to it from growing up, why I was wired the way I was wired, and then the lessons I learned so somebody could use it as a reference book and say, okay, I'm getting ready to hire somebody. What did Matt say about that? I'm getting ready to take a new job. What did Matt say about that? I'm getting ready to fire somebody. What did Matt say about that? So I want them to use it as a reference with some stories about playing basketball growing up in North Carolina and um, a lot of the lessons I learned. This is really, you kind of talked about since you've been doing kind of the coaching, this book has really come together fairly quickly then. Yeah, it, I, I started really working with a publisher last June. So, yeah, it's hard work, man. You, you know, it's unless you, you know, some people have ghostwriters. I didn't have a ghostwriter. I did it. And I had a, a publisher and I had a PR person and uh, an editor. So I had a team, you know, it's, it's, it's work, but it's, I, I like it. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy talking on the radio. I enjoy doing TV work. I enjoy writing a book. And I think I'll write, you know, another book. And maybe I'll write another book after that. 
That's great. Yeah, I look forward to reading that because, again, there's so many great books out there. Um, but, again, on how I started this whole podcast was the whole basis of so many books are wrote about people who have won championships after championships and had a ton of success. And, obviously, you can drink from those books and get a great deal. But I think these ones are interesting as well because there's not as many out there where people are willing to kind of show their scars and their wounds of what happened and, you know, things they would have done differently or what to look for in the future or whatever. You know, I think you, you can learn so much more from those. I really do. Well, that's exactly why I wrote it. Exactly why I wrote it. Right there. You know, I want to sh people show, show people my, how vulnerable I, I am, I was, and the mistakes I made. You know, because like you said, there are a lot of books out there, of, you know, winners. Those are great, but I, I, I think that this was my story. And, um, I thought it would be compelling, a compelling read. Well, again, too, I mean, to get to the part where you were, to have the job in North Carolina, you obviously had success along the way, right? As a player, you know, you go work for Coach McKillop, you have a ton of success with Coach Williams at, at Kansas and Notre Dame and things like that. So, again, that's where I think people kind of lose perspective of, like, to get in a situation to be let go, you need to have done some things to get in that situation to be there as well. Right. No, thank you. Yeah. I guess last question here. You know, if you were to go back and you were to take a head coaching job, based on all you've kind of learned over those last 15 to 20 years, you know, since being let go and the reflection time, the book, all that, what would you do differently if you were to be given the keys tomorrow to a, a, a power five, a mid-major job, anything like that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I would go slow with change. I would go very slow. My demeanor would be different. In what way? Just slow. I just go slow. I'm a hard charging, intense guy. I would just purposely keep my foot on the brake and not on the gas and just go slow. Very calm, go slow, get to know the players, get to know the administration, my staff, put together a, a great staff and just go slow. I went fast at North Carolina because I had to. It was July. Most important thing in July is recruiting. I just go slow, make sure that I had a trusted truth teller around me, either on my staff or an administrator, like I had it at Notre Dame and Bubba Cunningham, and just go slow. There's a great follow on Twitter, Tim Kite, K-I-G-H-T. And uh, he talks about E plus R equals O, where E is the event, R is your reaction, and O is the outcome. And the only thing you control is your reaction. So just react slow. You can always get mad later. You can always, you know, but you know, sometimes you got to react, right, in the course of a game. But outside of that, you don't. You can always say, let me think about it. Let me think about it. You know, I condition my – I'm more conditioned like that now. Just don't let any little thing phase you. Let it go. You know, pick your battles. Not every battle is worth fighting. That's probably what I do, just go slower. Do you think being an assistant – many successful programs, a head coach, an associate commissioner of a, of a league. Do you think in the world we live in, which I think a lot of it's triggered by social media and everything as well, but 
the expectation of everything in life is it's got to have it now. It's got to be fast. It's got to be done. We got to win. I mean, do you think that there's just such a mindset of like way too fast? That's not yeah. even a, not even a reality. Yeah, no question, a hundred percent. I mean, it used to be a guaranteed four years. Now coaches get fired in two. You can't build a program, a culture, especially in college basketball, in less than four years. It takes time. And so, yeah, there are people that are just impatient. Yeah, Kevin Stallings got fired at Pitt a well, year. And then, and then like you mentioned before about the, the contracts and buyouts and that whole deal that went on there as well, right? I mean, that's another layer to kind of the whole thing. Yeah, well, that's, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to hire me and fire me in a couple of years, then I should have a buyout that is significant. Now, if you fire me after seven years, my buyout should be less significant. You, you better, you know, going back to looking at jobs, I think the thing that you have to try to find, and this is hard to do in the interview process, how is the president of the school and the AD aligned? And then how would you be aligned with them? It's hard to find out in short notice because these jobs open up and then they fill them in less than a week. So how can you find that out? But that alignment is critical. And then are you a fit for that job? Are you a fit for that institution? I don't fit a lot of institutions. I fit Notre Dame and North Carolina. You know, I fit uh, probably more mid-major programs because I do like the academic kid. I like that kid that, you know, we're talking about, hey, trying to play professional basketball, but also getting a job on Wall Street or a consulting firm or some tech company. Like that is fulfilling work for me. You know, I still talk to players at SMU who are in corporate America and, and that makes me feel good that they are doing those things. Because you want players to use basketball and not have basketball use them. Yeah. Well, I have a great point to finish on. And again, I know you're busy with the book coming out and appreciate you taking the time to sit down and know whether yeah. it's great, great out by you and everything like that. So thanks for, for sitting down and kind of telling a little bit about your story. And again, I'll put in the show notes, your Twitter, and also the book link on Amazon to pre-order that. Really looking forward to that coming out here soon. Thank you so much. Yeah. The, uh, the website for the book is rebound-book.com and people can see pictures. We got some great endorsements, Marcus, from Dick Vitale, Jay Billis. Michael Jordan wrote the foreword of the book. And, you know, I hope my book is half as good as the endorsements I got. Well, awesome. Well, good luck with things. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down. Thank you so much. You're doing a good cause in helping coaches that lose their jobs uh, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, you look at some coaches who have lost jobs and bounced back and doing great at their second opportunity. And that's, like I say to my players, if that's the worst thing that happens in your life, you'll live a charmed life. So I wish everybody good luck that's listening to your podcast. Well, I appreciate those kind words. Yeah, and thanks again, and uh, look forward to purchasing that book here soon. Thank you, Marcus.